0: Welcome to this episode of WikiWalks, a short podcast devoted to some of the more intriguing and, huh, who knew, articles that you can run across in the weird world of Wikipedia. I'm your host, Chris Grismer. Well, happy day to you in podcast world, however you're listening to this. All right, so there's a part of me that considered doing a multi-part episode on this, or at least one unusually long episode, and this episode probably will be one of the longer ones I've done. And it's about the presidency of James Garfield, as both his election and assassination are uh, particularly bewildering. But I will spare you my fascination with how he came to power and focus today on how he left it. So this episode is going to be it's going to be a bit of a wild journey. On July 2nd, 1881, President James Garfield was fatally shot at a Washington train station by a deranged man named Charles Guiteau. Now, you've probably heard the standard story that Guito was simply a disappointed office seeker who killed the president in a crazed effort to get a government job. But, as we'll see, there's a lot more to this story than just a crazy dude with a gun. To understand Guito's motives, we have to step back and take in the whole political landscape of the late 1800s. You see, in those days, the federal power was expanding faster than a pregnant manatee, and Government jobs were valuable prizes to be won, much like Jasmine in Aladdin. Getting appointed to a cushy federal post usually required currying favor with powerful members of Congress. Senators and representatives would recommend supporters, friends, and allies to fill positions in federal agencies. These appointees were expected to show their gratitude by kicking back a portion of their salaries to fund their political patrons' future campaigns. This corrupt system was known as the spoils system. Well, as you can imagine, reformers hated this quid pro quo cronyism, but the spoilsmen in Congress fought hard against any reform attempts. New York Senator Roscoe Don Corleone Conkling was the most notorious spoilsman who used his political machine to control a huge chunk of federal jobs. But in 1881, President James Garfield decided to take on Senator Conkling and the spoils system. Garfield nominated his own candidate for the lucrative position of the collector of the Port of New York, rejecting Conkling's choice. This was like a declaration of war against the powerful kingmaker. Conkling threw an epic temper tantrum, as they did in those days, and still do, resigning from the Senate in protest, hoping to trigger a crisis that would force Garfield to back down, but, well... He didn't. He refused to withdraw his nomination, even as Conkling's resignation split the Republican Party into warring factions, the Stalwarts and the Halfbreeds, which sound like two houses from a great value Harry Potter knockoff. But now we should turn our attention to Charles Guiteau. So his mental cheese had already slipped off his cracker long before these events, but he was once part of a very, let's call it a free love (laughs) uh, style commune. They were all very familiar with each other, and he ended up being so reviled by the rest of the Victorian-era hippies that they called him Charles Get Out, (laughs) and they actually kicked him out of their little cult. I might one day do an adults-only episode about this commune because they eventually evolved and became Oneida, one of the largest makers of flatware in the world, and you probably own one of their spoons right now, but I digress. Guiteau considered himself a stalwart Republican who had campaigned for Garfield's election in eighteen eighty; he believed that his pro Garfield speeches were instrumental to the election victory; so, in Guiteau's deluded mind, he deserved a "juicy political plum" as a reward, and the plum he had his eye on was the cushy post of the U.S. consul in Paris. Guiteau hounded the new Administration for months trying to secure the appointment, but was clearly not qualified. When President Garfield ultimately rejected Guiteau for the Paris position, the unhinged man decided drastic action was necessary. In Guiteau's warped mind, Garfield had betrayed him and needed to be removed to resolve the feud tearing the Republican Party apart. By assassinating the president, Guiteau believed he would be saving the party, uniting the factions, and would emerge as a patriotic hero. So on the morning of July 2, 1881, Charles Guiteau waited at the Baltimore and Potomac Railway Station in D.C., where President Garfield was scheduled to board a train. As Garfield walked through the waiting room with Secretary of State James Blaine, Guiteau stepped forward and shot the president twice at point-blank range. Garfield collapsed to the floor as pandemonium erupted. I am a stalwart of the stalwarts, proclaimed Guiteau, who made no attempt to flee. Arthur is president now, Chester A. Arthur. Guiteau put his pistol back in his pocket and turned to leave via a cab that he had waiting for him outside the station, but he collided with policeman Patrick Kearney, who was entering the station after hearing the gunfire. Kearney apprehended Guiteau and was so excited at having arrested the man who had shot the president that he neglected to take the gun from him until they arrived at the police station. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. Interestingly, one of the direct eyewitnesses to the Garfield shooting was Robert Todd Lincoln, who was then Secretary of War and the son of and witness to another assassinated president you might remember. Garfield was rushed to the White House, clinging to life as doctors desperately tried to save him over the next 80 days. Oddly enough, his doctor's name was actually Dr. William Bliss, like his actual birth name was Doctor. Not because he was a doctor, that was his actual name. Might be a red flag. Don't trust a doctor named doctor. No device existed that could locate a bullet within a human body and doctors couldn't remove a bullet without knowing where it was, obviously. So Alexander Graham Bell, yes. The recent inventor of the telephone created a device to do just that. Literally the first metal detector. Working urgently, he came up with an induction balance, which was a coil device that could detect metal in the human body. He had tested it on Civil War soldiers with bullet fragments inside them, and he verified that the device worked as intended. For all its successful tests, it only failed twice. The two times Bell tried to find the bullet inside the president... He was baffled about why it failed until he learned that Dr. Bliss hadn't followed his instructions to remove the box spring to the president's bed, which contained metal coils that would interfere with the detector. Bell sought a third attempt with the box spring finally removed, but Bliss made a public announcement about Bell's failure and declared the device ineffective and that Bell was a charlatan. Charles Guiteau, the man who shot Garfield, has gone down in history as Garfield's assassin, but... eh, Given that Garfield survived for months before succumbing to his injuries, inadequate medical care was more the direct cause of the president's death. And also, I'm so sorry, but you should know this because I had to learn this. But one of Bliss's ideas was to pump nutrients directly into Garfield's intestines through his anus. Yes, Bliss believed his intestines were pierced by the bullet, so he administered beef bouillon, egg yolks, milk, whiskey, and drops of opium right up Main Street there. So, (laughs) I suppose this is a rare case where Garfield would want to abstain from lasagna. But Bliss claimed this might aid Garfield's poor appetite and nourish him. But historians say it was essentially a form of torture. Food can only be digested in the stomach, so pumping beef extracts and opium into Garfield's rectum provided no actual sustenance. Never said that sentence before in my life. The painful... Uh, feeding caused great discomfort but did not improve the president's condition. He lost 100 pounds between July and September, so he essentially starved to death if the sepsis from unclean everything didn't kill him first. So just make sure to include that fun detour up the keister in your future book report about the president. On Sunday, September 18th, 1881, Bliss insisted that Garfield was getting out of the woods. But the next day, James Garfield succumbed to his injuries and died. The autopsy showed Bliss had probed on the wrong side, missing the lodged bullet. His misguided efforts had only introduced more injuries and infection. And the true cause of death was listed as blood poisoning from the original gunshot wound. But it was really the comedy of about 10 million errors that likely did the trick. Yet Bliss still had the audacity to send Congress a bill for his disastrous services. Lawmakers paid only a fraction of what he demanded. Tragically, This refusal to adopt new technology played out again 20 years later when President McKinley was assassinated. Doctors rejected the newly invented x-ray machine to find McKinley's bullet, afraid to move him. They operated without locating the bullet, and McKinley died of gangrene days later. Oh, and BT-dubs, Robert Todd Lincoln was there for that one too. Maybe people should stop hanging around that guy. He actually refused any president invitations for 20 years after this, afraid that he was become death destroyer of worlds. Charles Guiteau, so convinced that he would be revered for his actions, was shocked when the public reacted with outrage. He specifically purchased an ivory-handled revolver, thinking it would one day be in a museum. He was convicted of murder and hanged on June 30, 1882, two days shy of the first anniversary of the attack. Eerily enough, the revolver was photographed and then never seen again. Do you have it? If you do, write to the show. Garfield's assassination became a rallying cry for civil service reform, and legislation was passed to stem the tide of the spoil system. And Congress was never corrupt again. <coughs> In the end, some good emerged from the senseless tragedy with those reforms. And also, his great-great-grandson, Richard Garfield, invented magic the gathering and Richard's great-uncle invented the paperclip. Ha! Who knew? See, I told you this episode could have been so much bigger. Although, I guess, you know, if you consider the totality of everything, if the doctor announced on Sunday that the president was doing well, and then he died the next day, well, I guess that finally explains why Garfield hates Mondays.